Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church. Here at FBC, it's our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we hope that this message helps you continue to grow in your faith. This audio is property of First Baptist Church, but feel free to give away copies of this message in the hopes that others will be impacted by what they hear. For more information about FBC, or if you want to stay connected with us, visit our website at fbclloyd.ca or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. Amen. Hey, I don't know if any of you noticed, but the regional director's in the house. (laughs) Just a wee bit more pressure. So if, uh, if I've come to mean anything to you, over the last few years, over the last 54 minutes. If you would just stop by and talk to Mark afterwards and and tell him how much you appreciate FBC, you love it here, things are going swimmingly, things like that, that would be awesome. Really appreciate that. Um, You could tell him also how much you're enjoying this series. I told him that it's all about him. And so uh, don't tell him, it'll be our little secret about the gospel of Mark. I just told him it was a series about Mark, and you know, there we go. I, uh, actually, it's interesting. When I came on staff just a little bit after Mark arrived here, um, I'd come out of the private sector, and I'd been in the public sector before. I'd never been in, in ministry. I'd never been in a church, working in a, in a church, and, and um, as, as it happened, just right as I was coming on, they were having a staff retreat. And so that was one of the first things that I did was go on this staff retreat. And, and Mark and I are both Nighthawks. And so we arrived on this retreat, and we're in this cabin out in the middle of nowhere sort of thing. And, and um, Mark says, come with me, grasshopper. Um, and he, until about 4.30 in the morning just started to unpack for me what it was going to be like to be a pastor and what I could expect and, and things to do and not do and how to go about stuff. And, and I can stand here and say that I don't think he was wrong in any respect. Uh, he gave me just such a, a great launch into this and gave me such a, a head start on so many things. I've been grateful ever since and come to love him. And, and, and you know how much I love him because... Uh, I scheduled him to come on a week that I'm speaking rather than a week that Ryan's speaking. And so I had to give up like 10 minutes of my time for him. So there you go. That's how deep it goes. Okay, so enough about that. We're, we're in the Gospel of Mark, and we are in chapter 9 right now, and we're going to be carrying on from verse 38 to the end of the chapter, verse 50. But in order for us to get the full value out of this little passage. We were fortunate enough to kind of schedule a smaller passage today. Even at that, we're going to have to move right along. But in order for us to get the the full meal deal out of 38 to 50, we need to really drop back to at least verse 33 uh, and pick up 33 to 37. And you're going to remember that um, those verses, 33 to 37, come right after Jesus has predicted his death a second time and has been speaking plainly to his disciples about what was coming up for him. Okay, and so we're going to pick it up there. So this is Jesus and and his disciples, verse 33. They came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? Now, it's not that he didn't know, but he wanted to talk to them straight up about 
what they were arguing about. So he asked them this question. But they kept quiet because on the way, they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. And now, following that, Mark outlines for us another situation, another event. Starting in verse 38. Teacher, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name. And we told him to stop, because he was not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said. For no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. Truly I tell you, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose their reward. So this morning as we come to this little section of scripture, we see that In the background, behind the scenes, there's this overarching theme of status and position and privilege going on with the disciples. First, they're arguing amongst themselves about who is going to be the greatest. And then, John comes to Jesus, and you can see it's on behalf of all the disciples. It's not just John. But he comes to Jesus and he says, hey, we stopped this dude. He was out there casting out demons in your name. But we stopped him because he was not one of us. Now notice, it wasn't that they went up to him and said, hey, you're failing. You're not succeeding in casting out these demons. Therefore, maybe you should wind this up. He was having success. But they said, that he should stop because he wasn't one of them. So somewhere along the way, the disciples have gone from sort of this bumbling, inept crew that are just trying to figure out what this is all about to now somehow thinking that they're special. That somehow that they have arrived on another level and that therefore they're more important or better than others. And in fact, if you remember, just a few verses ago, just a little while ago, they had failed, the disciples had failed to cast a demon out of the son of the man that had come to them and said, I've got this boy. And he's demon-possessed and it's causing all kinds of issues for him and all kinds of issues for our family. Can you do something about this? And they had failed to be able to drive the demon out. So at this point now, you would have to think that they are perhaps a little threatened even at the fact that there's somebody else out there, not one of us, that's doing his thing and and casting out demons, having success. And he's, he's threatening their privileged status. And they're probably even a little jealous 
about the success that he's having and that he's somehow having an impact, gaining some notoriety for what he's doing. So they want to protect and preserve their exclusivity and with it then, their position. And Jesus is having none of that. He is not down with that at all. So he responds to them, first of all, by saying, if you want to be first, you have to be the very last and a servant to all. Which is to say, boys, listen up. Position and reward is not found at the top of the pile with everyone serving you. And next then, he comes to them and says, wait a second. Don't stop this guy from doing his thing out there, casting out demons in my name. Don't stop him. If he isn't against us, He's for us, which is to say, guys, listen up, understand, position and reward is not achieved through exclusivity. In keeping our circle tight and small, that's not going to make us bigger and better, greater. That's not the deal here. And then, as if to just sort of underline the fact, Jesus tags this on at the end. He says that whoever doesn't, even the least of these acts in my name, like giving someone a glass of water, that they will not miss out on their reward. The reward is going to come to them as well. For even the simplest of things. It was generally understood and regarded at that time that the, the most basic level of hospitality was giving someone a glass of water. That would be denied no one. It's interesting verses. Something that we need to think of. That we are not spiritually superior in any way, shape, or form. But how often do we actually think about that? How often do we remind ourselves that everyone is on the same level here? That I am no better than anyone else and that what everyone else is doing for God is awesome. And we're not here to rain on their parade because they're not doing it our way. They're not doing it the way that we think it should be done. But interestingly now then, Jesus doesn't stop here. Now he becomes proactive. He's just responded to the disciples as they've brought him to different things as that's come up from them at their impetus if you will but now Jesus he he starts to speak into their life a little bit more he takes the opportunity and he goes downtown in verses 42 to 48 he offers two warnings 
to them then and now us here today. The first is a warning for each of us not to hinder someone else from following Jesus. Verse 42 says, If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, which is interesting, interestingly enough, isn't just this little child. It could be someone also referred to here very young in their faith, on the edges of faith. So not just children. But if anyone causes one of these little ones, who is, who, those who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. Jesus points out that if we were to cause someone to stumble in their young faith, that it would be better for us to be thrown into the sea with a millstone around our neck. That if we were to impede someone from growing in their faith, that we would meet a better demise by drowning with a millstone around our neck than is our due. Note here, the drowning with a millstone is not the punishment that's commensurate with the crime here, that that would be better than the crime deserves. That's a scary thought. Jesus then issues a second warning to each of us, and now in terms of jeopardizing our own faith. Verse 43, if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell, where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell, where the worms that eat them do not die, and the fire is not quenched. Now, just as an aside, I know that most of you are better parents than I am. And I'm sure that a lot of you are encouraging your kids right now to memorize Scripture. And probably a bunch of you have seized on the idea, the opportunity, that you could provide them with some incentive by, you know, maybe giving them a quarter for every verse that they were to memorize. Right? Just saying. Well, here's where you want to start them. They're going to figure out soon enough that there's some nice short verses like Jesus wept and so on and so forth. But this goes even better. This goes even better, because you can give them five for the price of three, which is to say that they can earn a buck 25 off of you for memorizing three verses, because you'll notice that verses 44 and 46 are missing in this passage. Did you notice that as we were reading? 43, 45, 46, 44, 40, verses 44 and 46. So we went 43, 45, 47. Well, 
That's because 44 and 46 are generally regarded to be the same verse as 48 in a lot of transcripts. And so they've been left out here. So, but your kids could learn those five verses. You could pay them a buck twenty-five. They would be off to a flying start thinking that this was the best thing ever, memorizing scripture. I'd encourage you if you're not already. But I know you are. Anyways, back to the point. Back to the point. I think that we come to passages like this oftentimes, and we look at them, and they seem so extreme to us. The hyperbole is so great that we automatically discount them right off the hop. Surely, we say, Jesus can't be serious about actually getting us to cut off a hand or a foot or gouging out an eye. Surely, that that can't be the real deal here. And the good news is it's not. He's not actually proposing that because of this. There is no forgiveness of sin in cutting off your hand or your foot or gouging out an eye. That is not how we deal with the problem of sin. But here again, Jesus outlines for us the fact that if we don't deal with the problem of our sin, we have a bigger problem coming our way. And he underlines this fact. He draws it to our attention today by saying that it is far better, as drastic as it might seem, to be cutting off a hand or a foot or gouging out an eye if it was the thing that was causing us to sin. Far better then it would be for us to do that, to practice self-mutilation, than to not deal with our sin and be sent for an eternity into hell. In other words, hell is a way worse option than maiming ourselves. Two things here, really quickly. We're going to see this play out as we go through the rest of the gospel. You can be as close today as the disciples are to Jesus. You can be as close to Jesus today as the disciples were. And if we don't, decide to deal with the problem of our sin, we can be lost for eternity in hell. And secondly, today, as Jesus speaks to us today through this passage, we have to be on guard in our lives against spiritual superiority that would impact ourselves or others around us negatively for eternity. Now, I'm going to come back to this just really in, in, in a short minute here, but I want to tidy up the end of this passage here by dealing with verse 49 and verse 50. The last two verses are understood by scholars to be two of the most difficult verses to interpret in the New Testament, along with 1 Peter 4 and some other spots. And it's generally understood that in, 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 this, in these two verses, what we see is these two verses, that Mark has collapsed some of... Jesus' pithy sayings into two thoughts somehow, and the meaning of which has kind of gone lost on us. There's a number of different ideas about what Mark is driving at here, and so I would encourage you, go home and read these passages, do some reading and some research yourselves, and come up with your own understanding of what Mark is driving at. I'm going to offer 
for you, if you will, my best guess is as, as to where he's going with this. Mark 9, verse 49 says this, Everyone will be salted with fire. From my reading, from my research, it would seem that he's drawing from Leviticus 2, verse 13 here, as he writes this out. Leviticus 2, verse 13 says, Season all your grain offerings with salt. Do not leave the salt of the covenant of your God out of your grain offerings. Add salt to all of your offerings. And from here then it would seem that Mark is pointing us back to the fact that we are called upon to live as living sacrifices to God, recognizing that our lives are sacrifices now to be spent for Him. And that we should add salt to that to make it acceptable for Him. But to understand that we are going to be called now as followers of Jesus Christ to suffer and to sacrifice ourselves for the sake of Christ and His mission. It seems to be that he's referring back now to what he's been talking about earlier on the way of the cross. That we need to take up our cross daily and follow him. Sacrifice our lives for the sake of Jesus and the cause that he's called us to, which is leading others into a growing relationship with him so that he can solve the problem of their sin as well. And Mark 50, Mark 9 verse 50 Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with each other. Salt was understood to be a cleansing agent, a preservative, and also a seasoning. And so it would seem that Mark's calling us to one of those points or maybe all three. That we're to be a cleansing agent to our brothers and sisters, helping them to deal with their problem of sin, that we're to be a preservative in the same way by leading them into a relationship with Jesus Christ so that they will not go to hell and suffer that fate, and that we would be a seasoning as well, that we would make their lives better as we sacrifice ourselves for their sakes. And then just to wrap it up, Jesus seems to be pointing us back one more time to not getting bogged down in spiritual superiority by reminding us to be living at peace with one another, not causing divisions, not disrupting the unity, but caring for one another, living together peacefully for the sake of the testimony of Jesus. Now, I want to just stop and really quickly drop back to talk about this passage a little bit as a whole. In the world out there, we have gained a reputation over years, over the years, of Christianity being this hellfire and brimstone religion, where we rain on people's parades and have sort of adopted, sometimes understandably so, as it's been abused in the pulpit and other places as well. But where we've abused our, our message by, by pursuing it in such a way as to try and scare the hell out of people, rather than to offer them the message of Jesus Christ in a simple way of accepting Him, starting to learn and understand about His sacrifice on our behalf so that we can avoid the consequences of hell.
And as that has happened, that has happened on the shoulders of people like me or whatever. Preachers in the pulpit or what have you. Those of that have mishandled scripture. Because as we see here, Jesus is not trying to browbeat people or scare the bejeebers out of them. He comes along and he lays out for us something very simply and very clearly and very gently. By giving us the means to compare, to understand it, by what he presents as better, as what would be better. And this morning, if you're here and you haven't come to that place where you've decided to follow Jesus Christ, where you're commit, you have committed your life to him, where you believe in the Son of God, remember that as we started this, this message, this series, Mark starts his gospel right off the hop with the contention that Jesus is the Son of God. And that he came on this mission to help us with our first and foremost, our most primary problem, which is the problem of sin, which would ultimately demand of him that he would lay down his life for us. That he would die in our place to offer us an alternative to an eternity in hell. And if you haven't come to that place yet, that's what this Gospel of Mark is all about. It's helping you to get to that place. That's what we're all about at FBC, is helping everyone that we can get to that place where they recognize Jesus for who he is and what he has done so that we can all make that decision to deal with the problem of our sin by trusting in him. And I would encourage you today, you might have been here for years, you might have been here for just this service the first time ever, Please consider this carefully because we don't think that there is any bigger, more important question than you can ever ask or answer than this question of who is Jesus Christ and what is his relevance to me in my life and what is this whole thing about sin. Please consider this very carefully. If you're here this morning and you have come to that place where you've trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then can I encourage you as well, consider what Jesus has just said very carefully. We skip by this far too easily. If Jesus Christ is God, and if he comes to us then with a bigger perspective on life than we know, he isn't just one of us. He's not just a human. He's not just a good teacher. He's not even just a preacher. Thank the Lord for that. He's God. We didn't need another preacher. We needed a savior. And he comes with his perspective as God to speak into our lives today about this problem of sin. And so for, then, for those of us that know him, then please understand again the consequence of hell. Recognize the problem, the significance of the problem that we deal with. And that those around us are still lost too. That don't know it yet. And would you consider then what God is calling you to pick up his mission and follow him for the sake of those that don't know him yet? What is God calling us to? We cannot live as if this doesn't make a difference for ourselves and for those around us. The fact that there's a hell 
means that we've got to be so serious as we try and reach out to our loved ones, our friends, our neighbors, our community with the gospel of Jesus Christ because the stakes don't get any higher. This morning, in this little passage, there's something for us all to think about and to go to God with and to seek his help in order to address properly. Let's pray. Father God, this morning again we stop and we say thank you for the gift of your son. Father God, I pray that you would come now and that you would speak to us again. Please, God, do not let us walk out of here the same people. Do not let us walk out of here like Teflon with this issue having just slipped right off of, our, of us, our responsibility to it, denied, ignored, diminished. Please, Lord, ensure that we do not be ones that would cause anyone, impede anyone from following you. And much more so, God, that we would be people that would bring others to you, that we would be a testimony for you in our world. So to that end, God, I pray that you, by your Spirit, would empower us, that you would enable us, that you would motivate us, that you would move us, and that you would make us your people. All for Jesus' sake, and in his name I pray. Amen. Hey, I'll see you next week at the, church, at the, at the park, not the church. And it's Donut Sunday because the regional director's in the house. <laughs> Tell him how much you love FBC. We'll see you at Bud Miller. <laughs>